Welcome to The Art Show by Teapotcast with your host, Milo H.G. Waters. This podcast contains mature content. For more information about this week's artist, check out the description below. But for now, sit back, pop the kettle on, and enjoy the conversation. Welcome, one and all. It is my pleasure to introduce Joanna Feo. Feo, Feo, I've still got it wrong. Never mind, we're going with it. Joanna Feo, um, theatre practitioner, puppet maker, um, all-round fantastic person from Portugal um, with a very difficult to pronounce last name, and my friend. It's a pleasure to have you. What is in your teapot? Uh, (laughs) My teapot currently has a particular blend of coffee and decaf. Uh, because my coffee got cold, and so I added some decaf on top. Um, I'm a very ah, yeah. That's an interesting tactic, actually. I've not heard that one before. Yeah, because I can't have too much coffee, or else you know my heart rate goes crazy through the entirety of the day. So you know. Um, yeah, fair play. <laughs> it's really a so. Yeah, man. Like, how are you doing? What have you been working on? Uh, what have I been working on? So currently, you know, theater is kind of on hold. Um, you know, and we yep. find ourselves in purgatory. So I've been kind of exploring some other um, dimensions. Uh, and one of the things that I've been working a lot through this year, and it's now kind of starting to feed back into my artistic practice, um, has been my connection to dreams and dream work. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah. T- all right. Yeah. Just just tell us all about this. Like, what, like, what is dream work and and how do you do it how does it work with your your artistic practice yeah so basically dream work is a series of like tools that have been in development since the beginning of humanity right so every great civilization has done some form of dream work um and and these were this was usually work that was done by shamans and by heads of communities and by entire groups as well um the question is when we get to the 20th century you know all that stuff kind of gets pushed down you know there's a paganism you know, dies with Christianity and all that stuff. Um, And afterwards, when the resurgence of dream work comes in the 20th century uh, with kind of the invention of psycho psychoanalysis and the, um, that kind of interest in the subconscious and particularly with Freud coining the term of the subconscious, the problem is after that, that anything that has to do with dreams and dream interpretation or work with dreams is now kind of under lock and key uh, of psychologists. Right. Once you start getting into it and then you start having this interest in dreams, you start finding out a lot of the work is very accessible. It does not need to be made by therapists. You know, this work has existed for millennia amongst communities. Uh, and you start finding out all these techniques, you know, and stuff that includes lucid dreaming that like I think everyone kind of knows about when you um, become lucid and you're able to, to control. And lucid dreaming is not my favorite technique, but, you know, there's a lot of doors, you know, most people associate with like, yeah, I'm going to fly or have orgies or whatever. Uh, but you can do very interesting work. You can turn to characters and ask what they represent. You can try to affect your kind of subconscious directly. Um, and there's other okay. ways in which we do this, um, you know, through kind of uh, asking questions of dreams or doing things in artistic process in reality that then moves into the dream world, you know, in the way that your subconscious affects reality, but the reality affects subconscious. And it's all the basis of my dream work is all about learning to walk in a way that is appropriate to dreams. So kind of letting go. Learning to walk. Yeah. So if you imagine the dream world kind of as, as a space, right? Okay. In reality, you've got this space. And, and I'm talking both like the physical space and the kind of metaphorical space of society, of community, whatever. 
And in this right, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, this is, sometimes it goes on a bit of wander. Stay with me. Uh, hey, that's absolutely fine. Always with you. <laughs> um, yeah. So essentially, your your dreams when you put them together, um, they have a particular atmosphere. You know, there are people whose atmosphere is post-apocalyptic, and their dreams are all about survival. There's people whose uh, dream life is all about um, social, being social, and there's a lot of parties or whatever. And even within the same dream world, there will be these small spaces. Well, in reality, when we're operating these things, you know, relationships or whatever, we usually have guides. We have, uh, we're mimicking some people. There's some kind of guide, you know, oh, I want to become a lawyer. A lawyer. Okay, so you've got this back. Yeah. You go to university, you do this, you do this. And in life, we're very used to have this kind of direction, you know, even if it's the direction we don't choose to follow, there are certain paths and people in general, we know how to get to the places we want to get to. Yeah. And when you go into dream, all of that shit disappears. Like there is no certainty. There is no path. There is nothing. And so it can be used kind of as practice for finding your path intuitively with other people telling you what to do. It can be used to kind of accept as practice to accept these parts of reality that keep changing, you know, this uncertainty and learning how to walk and how to exist and how to do your path without having the certainties all the time. Does this right. make sense? Okay. Cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is making sense. Like, so, yeah, you're you're saying kind of like uh, when you when you're dreaming, the usual restrictions of of uh, of the space, both in terms of like you know society and and the paths that it lays out, the kind of standard routes that it provides for you, as well as the restrictions and rules that it puts on you, they go away. In the same way that a lot of the time in dreams, like, um, you know, the, the physical rules of reality kind of go away. You can suddenly leap tall buildings or, or whatever. There are big monsters knocking around. And when you're existing in a space that's free of the, you know, the kind of rules and, and presented options that we encounter in reality you get a chance to connect with your with your own intuition your own desires and your own abilities and you get a chance to kind of i i guess practice living in almost like a almost like a, a kind of controlled environment to use like a scientific term like it's a it's an environment removed from you know all the all the externalities of reality is that sort of on the right track yeah yeah absolutely um there's this amazing story i usually tell to exemplify because this is only one of the things you can do with dream work you know there's it's a world mm. of endless possibilities really uh and especially when you know we get to the stage of, like applying to you to your creative practice is really amazing but there's this amazing mm. story that i read it's in um in a book by a guy called robert bosnack and it's called tracks in the wilderness of dreaming and he's like a Western psycho uh, Western psychologist that goes to um, uh, uh, to Australia to meet an Aboriginal um, dream healer and to talk about dream work practice. And one of the stories, okay. you know, and, and for Aboriginal culture, this is very um, dream is very important um, mm. because they live in land with no signs. Right. The, the, the outback is this miles and miles and miles of landscape that looks the same there is no way to identify your path and whatever and so for their literal survival they practice their intuition because there's no roads you know they don't so they have to practice yeah. their intuition very strongly and they do this in dream 
And at a certain point, Robert Bosnack tells the story of a, um, actually a theater practitioner he met. And she got some money from the, the Australian government to go work with Aboriginals. But she couldn't find them. You know, she didn't know of any communities or whatever. And one day she decided she mm. got into her car and she started driving. And less than one day's drive, she found a whole tribe basically waiting by the side of the road. And she stopped. And she was like, hi, this is me, whatever. And they went, yeah, we know. And she's like, what do, what do you mean, you know? And he was like, I don't know. We were waiting on the side of the road because we knew something was going to happen. So without, because they got so in contact with their intuition and, and because they, they have no direction that's been told, you know, there's no direct path. Mm. So they've learned so well to deal with, to, to, to find their own kind of inner path and to, to find what they want without explanation. They don't even need explanation. Why are you waiting by the side of the road? I don't know, but I know this is what I need to do, mm. you know? And, and she described yeah. it three or four times she did it again. And it was always the same thing. She'd always find people waiting for her and they didn't know why they were waiting. <laughs> you know, they just were because they felt that was the right thing to do. It's, it's a bit of like uh, an anecdotal story, but it's, you know, it blows my mind personally. Yeah, no, same. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty crackers. And <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And like, I kind of, you know, yeah, I can I kind of get it. Like it does it does feel like, you know, um the kind of the the society that we live in at the moment, it it does feel like it kind of cuts us off from our intuition because it lays out these uh you know, these kind of like pre-trodden paths for us. Like, you know, you like you you don't have to find your your you know, connect with your sort of like instinctual yeah. desire to to use that word that i don't really feel is right but like you know you you can just go to school go to college go to university get this job do an apprenticeship you know what i mean like like you say it it gives us preset yeah. paths and that means we never we never have to in, use our intuition it's like like yeah. somebody who's never learned to swim because they've never jumped in the water like exactly like it's it's and that's why I think like in our in our modern society, we have a bit of an obsession with control or knowing what's going to happen or whatever, because we're not used to just existing in that space, you know, which mm. then like when you talk about dream work, the first thing people will bring to you is always lucid dreaming because it is as Westerners, it is the only way we learn how to we can understand dream is like if I'm uh. in this place where I'm lost, I need to know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, and I need to feel in control of it. Control. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so like, it's, they're just, they, people feel so lost in dream that they try to bring these paths that they have in reality and this logic that they have in reality. When in fact, for a lot of shaman traditions, dream work was very important exactly because it rid, it rid you of logic, you know, like for a lot of mm. dream work traditions, logic was the weight of humanity. It was what kept you from soaring and reaching the gods or whatever the fuck you want to call it. You know, mm. um, it's it's it was our own kind of it was what made us human, but also our worst enemy. And so the dream space was a space where we got rid of logic. And so we could fly and meet other beings or other spirits or whatever the crap. And, you know, and you can talk you can talk about gods, you can talk about parts of your subconscious, whatever your strand is. You know, you mm. can face the universe, you can say it's gods, you can say it's spirits, you can say it's ghosts, you can say it's ancestors, you can say it's parts of your subconscious. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. But yeah, you put... <laughs> um, yeah, they they used it as 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 practice of not having this logic, which would then feed into yeah this kind of intuition and not having to explain everything and 
doing things because they feel okay without needing to rationalize it. You know, why do I want to quit my yeah. job? You don't need to know, you know, that because it makes me sad because this, because that, because I want to. Mm. And that's really important. And you don't need to have explanations and reason and logic for everything, you know, because the more you're trying to yeah. explain the things you do and why you do them, the less things you're doing. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's very cool, actually. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we need, I don't know, part of me feels like we kind of need a bit of both of it. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking back to a, a well, I don't, I, I don't know what I'm saying, but um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating, man. I'm not even sure where to start with asking questions. Like, um, I mean, you, you said that like uh, lucid dreaming is is one kind of uh, technique, and it's it's one that's very accessible to uh, to Westerners. Um, like, could you talk about uh, some other techniques and kind of like different different applications that they have, where they come from, maybe? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, I do my work in, there's several different strands, like, and with dream work, each dream is very particular. So you you learn to work with it in other ways. Mm. Right now, um, broadly speaking, I do two types of work. So there's a type of work that's less about the student intuitive side and less about all of this stuff, which is just like work around interpretation. And I do this mostly with groups. Um, cause a lot of time when you do group dream work, it is, you know, you can get good, uh, insight from it, but it is a, a lot about the sharing. Um, mm. traditionally in, in a lot of, um, traditions you would, um, particularly like, uh, Native American, um, dream work, dream cultures, which is a bit of a contested term. Um, but in general, one can say that there are a series of, of groups of Native Americans that work very, very deeply with dreams. In very okay. different ways, because Native Americans, Native American yeah. tribes are, are, you know, an array of things. Um, but, you know, there, it was it was said that when you woke up, if you had a bad dream, it was almost your 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 moral social duty to share that dream, because if you didn't share it, that dream would hurt you on the inside, and that would hurt your community. So hmm. within dream groups, we do a lot of interpretation. We do a lot of like putting um, options out there. Each person in the group will say one thing that the dream might mean. And then the, the, the dreamer and all the process is always on the dreamer. The dreamer is the one that kind of says where he wants to go, says if he wants to stop. You know, I, I can't tell anyone to carry on a process if they don't want to. Uh, and all that stuff is done, you know, for safety. We're not going to push anyone past what yeah. they want. But then kind of everyone in the group gives an idea of what the dream might mean. And slowly with um, the, the dreamer, he kind of goes, oh, this rings a bell. This I don't feel as much. Oh, that person said something that really reminded me of a conversation I had with my mom last week. So there might be a bit of that in here. You know, and we slowly start putting it mm -hmm. together. You know, it's also very good to work with nightmares um, because like they can be very intense. Um the other, so, and this is kind of more the interpretation stuff. It's a bit more classical clinical psychology. It's not psychology. It's just interpretation and kind of symbolism, archetype, mm. you know, very Jungian. I do it very Jungian based. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second part, which is the part that kind of like then feeds into my own creative process is creative dream work, which is kind of a term I've coined. Maybe it exists. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but it's where we look at the dream we understand the we understand the plot and we kind of analyze it as if it was almost like a book or poetry or whatever 
and we try yeah. to find the end. So um, an example of this, I can tell an example of my own personal life. Um, I had a dream where I um, was walking around in my backyard um, and I fell backwards into this massive tank with two big, beautiful orca whales. It was one of those moments, you know, if I close my eyes, I can still imagine them and me in the water. Like it was like, mm. um, and then I had to go do some stuff. And when I came back, my mom was cleaning and I'd put them away. Right. And they were wrapped in this like plastic thing. And I was like <laughs> freaking out, like point number one, why are there two massive orcas in my backyard? You know, uh, why mm. are they not free? Um, and I was running around the house, like, um, you know, kind of trying to find them. Where the fuck did my mom put my orcas? Um, and I eventually found them in this little uh, plastic Tupperware and they had been reborn as these weird embryos. And, and then like I woke up and I was crying and I was so happy that I found them. And, you know, the, the mm. end of the story is I've got to free the fucking orcas, you know, whether they're in a Tupperware mm. or, or in a tank. Like if you think of if you act as dream as if dream was some kind of reality, you know, if I told you like, shit, I found two orcas, I'd be like, get them into the ocean. You know, like that would be the next mission. Yeah. So what I did then was I carrying, taking that dream as kind of a reality, you know, I'm like, okay, my mission now is to free the orcas. So I made a little medallion with two orcas for about a month. I twirl them around my fingers. I would always make sure that I visualize the orcas free and everything. And then when I got back to Lisbon, I threw this medallion with the two orcas back into the water. And three days, three days later, I had a confirmation dream where I was in this, um, I was doing kite surfing and it was like beautiful. Once again, they were very positive dreams. And I took this big mm. jump and then this big dive and my two orcas were there. Um, you know, mm. it takes a bit of magical thought to then, you know, link this to any kind of real life change. Um, because mm. It takes a bit of like believing that symbol can have some kind of change in reality or whatever. But honestly, like the way that mm. it works, I'm not interested. The, the, the thing yeah. you know is for two weeks I felt fucking amazing, you know, and there was this kind of like strength behind. And and this is very common when we do dream work in this kind of creative way that there are very real um, kind of quote unquote results that are absolutely unpredictable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I did a process. Yeah. Yeah. I did a process with a friend that included like some, some spiders and we ended up, she ended up like for three, four weeks, she totally got rid of a problem. She used to overeat a lot when she was stressed. It totally disappeared. Uh, I have no clue <laughs> what happened. I didn't know it was going to lead there. Yeah, but there, there's, hmm. and there's always a lot of like really strange things that happen, you know, and these weird synchronicities. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So we were kind of in that creative way of finding the resolution for the story and then pushing it to come about. Um, right. And yeah, and it has really interesting results. But these are just two ways. Like, as I said, there's a gajillion ways. Uh, sorry, that's my flatmates running off. Um, <laughs> that's all right. There's a, a gajillion yeah. ways to work these things. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because like, uh, you know, we, we know that our, the... It's kind of like we're not we're not totally in control of our own minds. We don't totally understand how the human brain works and we know how you know uh the way the the way we the the way we perceive the world um you know affects how we how we see opportunities, how we uh cope with stress, how we do all of these things and if your dreams are kind of 
part of that subconscious trying to show itself to your consciousness um then yeah it makes sense that you can (sighs) yeah kind of affect it and play with it and stuff yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah and it it makes sense that if you're if you're if your subconscious is showing you um a problem that needs resolving in a symbolic way through the dream if you then solve that problem you you get to the end of the story however you want to kind of interpret it that's going to um in some way help your subconscious and that's going to have like effect noticeable changes in your in your real life because your conscious is kind of on top of your subconscious yeah, it it makes sense, even though I can't put it into words very well. <laughs> yeah. There's this amazing joke. I don't remember if it was um, if if it was Alistair Crowley's joke or if some some other magician in the 20th century. Mm. And you know, full disclaimer: as a joke, it's not that funny. But okay, sure. <laughs> it's very good to exemplify a couple of like core ideas of, mm. of this kind of thought. Uh, and it's uh, there's two men and they're sitting on the train, and one of them's got a box with some holes in it. And the guy who's sitting across him spends the whole time being like, what's in there? You know, there's a ball of box yeah. with holes in it. It's probably some kind of animal. And at a certain point, he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry, sir. Like, excuse your, 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 my, me um, intervening in your life. But what is in that box? I've been looking at it for ages. You know, they were in a long train journey together. Uh, and he says, oh, it's a mongoose. And he goes, oh, that's, that's interesting. If, if it's okay, if I might so inquire, like, why, why do you bring a mongoose? And he goes, you know, it's a bit of a, a personal tragic story. My my younger brother um, has been has been taken into a mental institution. You see, he's being attacked by these um, imaginary snakes. You know, he wakes up and he's attacked by snakes, and and he's been put into this mental institution. So I'm bringing him the mongoose to deal with the snakes. And the man goes, but you know, the snakes aren't real; they're imaginary. And the man replies, yes, it's an imaginary mongoose. You know, most of our problems we make up for ourselves. They don't actually exist in our, in our perception, you know, and for imaginary mm. problems, imaginary solutions. Hmm. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. That, yeah, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, hmm. it's like you really, it's really hard to wrap your head around. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things you need to be curious and then you start doing it and then you realize it works. And then you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I would still yeah. like, be very cautious in saying I believe in these things, you know. So I get it. Yeah. Believe or not, I kind of do them, and then th- stuff happens, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, I get that, man. And I mean, that's like, I mean, that's that's kind of the the heart of mysticism, isn't it? That there are the idea that there are experiences that an individual can have that the individual can understand, and it feels right, and it makes sense to them, but can't be kind of directly transmitted to anyone else you can't explain it and you don't have to you know and you can inter you can put whatever labels you want on it you know you can look at it through a a christian lens a pagan lens a clinical psychology lens um but all of these are still just labels for that thing that we can't exactly yeah you know explain um the yeah. big, a big critique that's done of kind of traditional interpretation, dream interpretation. Mm. Um, I, th- I think dream interpretation is very good. And it's a very good beginnings point. 
because it's mm. hard to just dip directly into this like lack of definition and be okay with that you know yeah people when they come to me with for one-on-ones or something they go what does this does the stream mean I'm like i don't mm. know what it means but we can try to piece together some of the things that it might indicate yeah um but um oh god what was i gonna say i keep losing track of my thought um <laughs> uh i was on about well um Oh god. Shit, I don't know where we are either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that- um, oh that okay, yeah. Um like traditional interpretations, critique yeah. of uh, traditional interpretations. There we go. Thank you. I, I just found it. We found it at the same moment. Hey, um, yeah. yeah, there's a very good critique of traditional interpretation where it's saying it, it calls it, you know, it's a bit of a strong word, but um intellectual colonialism. You know? Okay, yeah. We're trying to grab this thing that is non-intellectual non-rational and you're going what does it mean and putting all yeah. the brain power into it and kind of taking your intellect in a place where it doesn't belong yeah so instead of asking what does it mean what this creative work does is what can i do about it that becomes the main issue and it's not so much about getting the dream to work on your rules it's about learning to adapt to the rules of the dream okay you know, yeah that's another way in which it can really um can really really help in finding creative problem solutions and all of that stuff most mm. of the times and this even in traditional interpretation what they say is that dreams are kind of giving you new options to do things you know um yeah if i have a tendency when i get really connected to someone to run away because i'm afraid of a, a close relationship then i'll have dreams where i'm i don't know running away from a massive teddy bear and there's someone that's like telling me like like running in their direction and hugging them you know, mm. so they're showing you the alternate behavior you could be having. They they are just presenting you with more options. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that's yeah. And I, I can see when you put it that way, I see um, how helpful it is because it's so easy as humans to get stuck into patterns of behavior, isn't it? And we mm-hmm. start repeating things, and we feel like we don't have another option because we've we've done things in one way or we've looked at things from one point of view for so long that we become so set in that that perspective and that mode of doing things that we we struggle to see the other options and yeah and and i guess dreams like you say kind of kind of open those options up to us yeah they know all the options and and it's all the options that are inside, you know, when you're talking about kind of archetypes, you know, each of us mm. is a gajillion different people that get put forward in different ways, you know, like I've got yeah. my inner child and my inner child knows how to do this and how to do that. But if my inner child, for example, if I was abused when I was a kid, then my inner child um, has dealt with abuse, which means every time mm. my abuse comes up, my ego kind of panics and goes, who knows how to deal with this inner child? You've done this before. And the inner child comes forward. It's totally not the person who's ready to deal with that right now, you know? Yeah. And that's when people like throw straps or, or find themselves in, you know, those things they did when they were four or whatever. It's old learned things. Mm. Once you kind of go and you start realizing, okay, my inner child, this is an example, you know, my inner child is dealing with all that stuff. They're not capable of doing it. Who is, mm. you know, and you go in your dreams. Okay. When there are figures of uh, authority or fear, what is my response? What are the response of the people around me? Do the people around me actually get their shit done? You know, when I'm not able to, if I have a dream of anxiety that I'm trying to climb up the mountain, you know, and I'm kind of trying to climb up the mountain, whatever. And then I see a a couple of climbers and they're going really fast and they're doing great. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this by myself. 
there's two of them and there's one of me. That's what they're doing well. And so you can mm. see that in that problem, you're alone, for example, and you need to find the first priority would be to mm. find someone else that can help you. You know? Mm. Yeah, man. So... Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so tell me a bit about the, uh, about the practice of this. So like, do like, I mean, uh, like, okay. Um, I guess what I'm asking is like, you, you've kind of suggested that, um, that people do come to you with kind of what does this dream mean or, hmm. or questions like that. Like, could you talk about kind of how you like, yeah. How, how would you deal with a client? Let's, let's yeah. kind of make a hypothetical client and you, you okay. just sort of, yeah. <laughs> Um, it depends. I mean, this is kind of a broad thing, but obviously it depends. It depends if they're coming with very big anxiety dreams, if they're coming, whatever, um, yeah. stuff will change because all dreams are different and the process is never the same, but uh, the overall, yeah. uh, creative dream practice goes, they come in. I ask, usually ask people to bring a dream. Uh, if they don't have a dream, uh, we can have a little first session where I just tell them about uh, techniques for dream recall, you know, how to increase your, your dream memory, et cetera, et cetera, to try to get the dream life back. Usually, mm -hmm. if you talk about dreams, the person will dream the next day because, you know, they just kind of hear their name called and they go, here I am. Oh, okay. Um, so usually just doing this work brings a lot more dreams out and you start having dreams that are a lot more clear where characters sometimes literally directly tell you what to do, um, which is all, always uh, very easy to interpret. If you have a dream where an old father figure comes and says, I can't protect you anymore. You have to protect yourself. That doesn't require much interpretation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, you know? Um, yeah. But so essentially they come with me. I usually, they usually bring a dream. The, um, they would, will tell me the dream uh, spoken in their own words. Um, usually I'll ask people to notice um, any feelings in the body and stuff. So for example, if there's a part in your dream where you're talking and you feel a knot in your stomach, okay, then there's something in that pain and in that part of the body that can be worked through. Um, mm. Then I just ask loads of questions um, because, you know, if you come with a dream where you find um, a shell on the beach and I'm like, okay, how do you feel about the shell? Is it beautiful? Is it ugly? Is the beach calm? Is the beach, uh, you know, is, is there a storm going on? Is the beach very crowded? Is the beach, are you by yourself? Um, and this mm. is a way to clarify, because there's this understanding in, once again, in our society, that dreams are stories. The dreams aren't stories. The, you know, the story is to the dream like the script is to the play. Dreams are environments, mm. you know? There's more than the story there. There's the environment, there's the feeling. You know, being in a in a beach when there's a storm or a beach in a calm day, they're very different things. Yeah. So first, okay, yeah. this clarification. Uh, mm. Then we usually go through a bit of a moment of interpretation, where a lot of what I do is is Jungian techniques. So the Jungian technique of amplification. So if, for example, you know, in this story about the beach, I can talk a bit about this what what historically has been associated with water. And in this, I'm also asking questions like, you know, what do you associate with water? What do you associate with the beach? Because it's very different if the person went to the beach when they were a kid with their parents or if they've been to the beach once and nearly drowned. You know, the beach yeah. is a very different place for them. So I kind of bring a bit of um, the, the collective unconscious and what, we've, uh, what we know about these symbols. And I present it to the person and then the person will be like, that makes sense. That doesn't. And with that, we start forming a bit of a path and we start understanding mm. if if what the dream is about, you know, 
If you have a dream mm. where there's loads of people and all of a sudden you're left by yourself, okay, then maybe it's talking about social places, space. It's talking about mm. feeling of loneliness or crowdedness, you know? It's got to do with your social relationships, you know? Uh, if you're uh, having a dream where you're trying to build a statue, but you can't, okay, then it's talking more about your path. What's your direction? How do you get shit accomplished? So we start piecing together what the dream is about. Um, mm. And then from that, we spin spot what is missing. So, mm. you know, um, in this case of the Yorkers, what was missing is I needed to free them. You know, what is the end to the story? Yeah. Where does the story end? And then through creative practice, we try to get there. Uh, and this can be hmm. like, there have been, <laughs> like, this can be anything from like, I've recommended anything from t-shirt making to buying water guns. You know, like, <laughs> the, the often <laughs> bumpers are, are, are crazy. Um, but yeah. Like, right. Uh, uh, but it's, it's yeah. Is, is it sort of like trying to find that 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 end, that solution, that closure of the story, like whatever the dream, the, the conclusion to whatever the dream is setting up, you're kind of trying to do that in reality? Is that right? Yeah, you can do like, it in reality. Like you making you your can do it in dream as well. Because um, that's the thing, like the difference, there's kind of very little difference Let's say there's a dream where someone is attacking me with a with a, a gun. This is the example of the water guns. You know, someone's attacking okay. me with a gun. Okay, I can buy a water gun and I can put it under my pillow. I can um, do a fake document, which is a restraining order, and burn it as a way to send it over. I can, um, you know, uh, yeah, I can write a letter to the dream authorities telling them someone's trying to break in. I can um, just write a thousand times before I go to bed, you will not shoot me today, and then put it underneath my pillow. All of this stuff will bring mm. out reaction from the dream world. Right. Okay, yeah. And then from that, yeah, so, kind of yeah. piece together. And, and, and once you start doing the right things to fix this problem, then the problem will start becoming clearer and clearer. Um. And usually yeah, you'll start getting dream characters being like, you're on the right path. You know, you'll have like confirming dreams. In this case, you know, if you yeah. write a letter to the dream authority saying someone broke into my house, please come take it away. And the next uh, day you have a dream, you're in the woods being chased by a person and uh, a Titan shows up and crushes them. You know, the Titan was the dream authorities and the person who is, you know, it's the same situation, but in a different context. And this is a dream of confirmation that whatever you did worked. Yeah, because the guy got destroyed. The authorities came and they took care of him. Yeah. Um, and okay. Like, yeah. Cool. You're in the right path. This is going well. You know. Yeah. Okay. So, so like the the dream kind of sets up some kind of problem or story. Yeah. And then, in in your sessions, you kind of try and figure out what that what that problem is, what can be done to overcome it, mm -hmm. and then you take actions in the real world um, that kind of set you up for when you return to that dream space, um, those actions sort of carry forward and equip you to solve the problem in the dream space. And then you return to reality and whatever the, the underlying subconscious issues that made the dream present that problem, they kind of, uh, maybe not resolved, but there's something beneficial to it. Is yeah. that kind of on the right track? Yeah, 
there's a lot that happens in the process as well because you know you're talking about these difficult mm. themes they usually start bringing up more stuff you start finding parallels between reality and dream you find um you know in the creation and defining these stories and these characters you start um you know there's this shamanic idea of the the character of power or the or the animal of power or whatever you know there are dream characters that come to you over time that you start to build relationships with you know like i've got a very uh, specific relation with my old woman you know she came during mm. a very difficult time of my life and it was you know i'd be running after uh someone you know like in panic and this old woman would just grab my hand and pull me to come dancing like and she didn't okay. it and she was just like you know i just want to dance and do my thing and in that point in my life i really had to own up to that i really had to stop chasing after things that i thought i wanted and just enjoy life for a bit and now whenever i get into that really quick pace you know in a dream she once gave me these really really beautiful big rings and when I find myself once again getting into that pace that I need to run after something, I go, I close my eyes, I put on these massive rings, and I pretend that I'm just this old woman, and all I want to do is dance. <laughs> that all right. helps. That you're just finding like this, um, this, and and the way that it helps is, is really that story of the woman, old woman is crazy because like the last dream that I saw her, she came dressed in a very particular way. And I remember describing that particular way to a friend of mine um, who works, uh, who does a lot in the Umbanda and with Orisha gods, which is a par very particular pantheon. And, and he just went, oh, that's Pombajira. And I was like, wait, what? It's like, my old woman was dressed exactly like this god that I knew nothing about. Um, and I started doing a bit of research on this god that I knew nothing about. And first, she dresses exactly like my old woman. All of the characteristics for behavior are there. Um, and she's a patron saint of lovers. Um, hmm. And I think ever since, this is the point where it starts getting a bit weird. And anyone who's listening to this and going <laughs> like, I don't buy it, feel free. Like, okay, have a go hard for it. Believing this as well. Ever since that, every single time I've had like a romantic disadventure, I dream about it the day before. Like every time I've kind of gotten broken up or, or like a separation or whatever, I dream about hmm. it the day before. So there is yeah it just kind of blows my mind and it's weird and i don't know how to deal with it yeah no i get yeah i get it man i mean there's it's really weird <laughs> yeah it is really weird isn't it i mean like i don't know it's it's the thing with with any kind of mystical experience like that that it's <sighs> Like, you know, it's it's something that you just kind of like, you just kind of know, you just kind of feel like, you know, and a premonition like that, you say it and, you know, you sound crazy, like, you know, <laughs> to most people. Yeah. Um, but it's like, but when you when you've had that experience, it's kind of it's so undeniable, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's, it's like more than people think as well. Like, I don't think there's been one dream mm. workshop that I've ever done where there haven't been people coming to me in the end being like, I predicted this and I'm freaking out, you know? Because mm. there's also the problem of like, you know, you predicted something once and now you're having perpetual dreams that your boyfriend is cheating on you and now you're like in a massive stress because you think he's going to cheat. Like, um, Right, yeah. There's never been a workshop that I've done that has someone hasn't come with premonition dreams. Like they're very, very common. And especially to people who start recording their dreams. You know, if you have any dream recordings mm. from like three years back, if you read like two months of dreams, you'll find like two or three instances that happened in real life afterwards. But, you know, yeah. with most predictions, you don't understand them until they come true. You know, like just because we've got Nostradamus text doesn't mean we can predict everything that's going on. We usually can just something happens and we go, holy shit, he told us.
<laughs> like predictions are very useless things, you know, as yeah. as um, Oedipus will show us. Um, yeah. You know, you can know your prediction, but it will still come true, and there's nothing you can kind of do to stop it. Um, yeah, and I think I think uh, I think you know uh, uh, the problem a lot of people have with predictions is uh, they kind of it they. It's not useful if uh, you only realize it was a prediction after it's come true and you go, oh, my God, <laughs> like, you know, this was foretold, like, um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, 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 yeah. they're funny, but they're worth very little. Yeah. <laughs> like in that case, okay, yeah. thing, that was actually quite fun interesting because it was the first time that I felt that those kinds of things actually had an impact. And on one mm. particular station, in, instance, uh, someone I'd been seeing for a while decided to stop seeing me. And the day before, I had dreamt that that had happened. And But it was really the first time that I felt that it actually made a difference because they broke up with me. And I was just like, yeah, okay. Like, it already that's, happened. Yeah, that's <laughs> I already did it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, that was the one so, time, like, predictions actually were worth something. Usually, it's it's just this mind-blowing yeah. thing that's worth for nothing. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's like, yeah, I mean, that's the question then, like, if they're, because if they're not useful for kind of changing, like, you know, this is going to happen, and you can change it, like, that's not what it's about, it's not about making you, um, uh, uh, I forgot, it's not about making you a fortune teller, Yeah. Um, but like, what, like, do you think the benefit to them because, I mean, there must be some reason for it, right? Like, do you think the benefit to them is something like that? It's about kind of preparing yourself or or helping you to deal with things after the fact? Like, or do you think it is just a kind of fluke phenomena? Um, there are a lot of studies. This is around more the scientific side of dreaming. Mm. Um, there are a lot of studies that study the actual purpose of dreaming in the brain. Um, mm. And one, a couple of very good theories is that um, it serves as a testing ground for new kind of ways of dealing with things and it serves okay. as well as preparation for dealing with things so exactly exactly in that sense you know if um someone uh you know if you're really stressed that someone in your life is going to die you might have dreams that they're dying because you're, you're you're trying to get prepared for the moment when they do you know right yeah. um it's kind of a, in, in both in a good way and in quote-unquote bad way there is this Taoist mm. um, proverb. Um, it's about this man, and this man was walking along um, on his way to the city. He, he was going to the city, and he wanted to get a government job and you know become this like good man of society. And on the way to the city, um, he stops by. He's really tired, and he stops by a Taoist monk, and he's like, um, and the monk is like, "Rest, rest. I'll make us some tea." And the guy goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he's in the city, and he's like, "Oh, the monk must have carried me the rest of the way." And he goes about and he does his life and he gets a job and he becomes this big, you know, government man. And, you know, he got everything he wanted, the wife, the house, whatever. And then one day he gets ill and he dies and he wakes back up next to the monk. And he mm. likes to not go to the city. He tried the life he wanted to leave, to live. Mm. He realized it wasn't quite for him. And he did something that was more truthful to what he wanted to do. Hmm. It's a very interesting story in, in exemplifying exactly, you know, he kind of, it, it's, it's so you can try all of these things. It's one of the scientific theories, you know, 
um, that you can try all of these things and 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 do all of this experimentation in dreams, you know. And even if you don't do yeah. dream work, and even if you don't do this kind of practice, dream work happens all of the time to everyone, whether you're aware of it or not, yeah. because it serves purposes. You know, a person that actually did not dream would go insane. There is a very big point to them. By doing conscious <laughs> dream work, you can be aware of how it's working, and you can try to apply it and give it a helping hand. You know, like it's there doing its work anyway. Everyone, you know, yeah. people who don't do dream work ever have, you know, life-changing dreams sometimes. People who don't. But the more you work it, the more you can use that tool for other spaces in your life. And the more you can hmm. gain awareness of the tools that are working anyway. Hmm. Yeah, man. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that's that's really cool. And that's a, yeah, that's, that's a really good explanation of it, I think. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, uh, ju just on that, like, I'm, I'm already starting to, uh, to see some answers to this question. But um, so you're, you know, you're, you're still a theatre maker, um, an artist and all the rest of it. Like, how, yeah, like, do, how, if it does, does your dream work kind of connect with your artistic practice? Yeah. Um, so, well, it does a lot. Yeah. I think a lot of the work that I do is inspired by dreams um, and by this kind of idea of symbol. You know, I put mm. an apple on stage. Nothing's happening to the apple, but already you're seeing Adam and Eve. You're seeing a school teacher or you're seeing, you know, there's all of these things yeah. that go with the symbol of the apple. Um, so I think this kind of symbolic work is, is very, very important in the way that I view, particularly because I work in visual theater. So there's no line, mm. there's no words. And so these kinds of uh, visual cues that will give you a sense of something are very, very important. And it's mm. very interesting to understand them and then apply, apply them to work. Um, more directly, there's a lot of the work that I do that is both dream work and artistic work. Um, okay. So painting from dream images, all of this kind of very direct work. Um, one of the most complex pieces of work, hopefully one day we'll see a stage, but... One of the most complex pieces of work that I've ever done was collecting a series of dreams for about two years and following these paths of these characters. Um, so it starts started with actually my old woman. I gathered all of the dreams that I had with her and I discovered what her story is. You know, first mm. find her on the train. Then, you know, a couple of months after, after I dreamt, oh, I moved to a new city. There is this woman who is in a stall selling bread. Okay, so this woman was on the train with me as I arrived to this town and now... Maybe she came for a farmer's market. And you start kind of mm. pulling out these kind of bits of story, which can then be translated to a kind of quote unquote, you know, waking world story that still has this feeling of archetypal meaning that still has this, you know, you know, when you meet those people, people, and you're like, yeah, you're a person, but like, there's something here. You seem like more of a person. There's these people that have kind of, I don't know if you have this experience or a place and you go to a place mm. and you're like, okay, this is a place, but I feel it so much more intensely than just a place. Mm. I, that's kind of the power yeah. that the archetype can have when you have a story that is just a normal story, but in it carries this background of these kind of like big archetypes, big notions then you have a story that is very simple but brings out a lot like you know i i used mm. to, I usually say for my plays i want people to to go out and be like i have no clue what just happened but it was beautiful and then you can <laughs> piece together what happened 
you know, mm. because the, the, the story is working on you, even, if, even if, when you don't know it's working on you. It's like the dream. The dream is working there all the time, even if you don't understand it. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely. Yeah. Thing, you know, and, and I aim to make these things that are in the midpoint in between understanding and not understanding these things that will challenge your logical mind. And, you know, all of this is what I do in my dream work as well. You know, stuff that will challenge your logical mind and you can get rid of logic for a bit. You can go, I don't quite understand what happened there, but I like it. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Do I need to know? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, yeah, I think yeah, that's I a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I to yeah, I totally get it. Um, I mean, in, yeah, in the, in the, the ways you're talking about how it, how it transfers to artistic practice, because it is, you know, it's, it, it is story craft, isn't it? It's story is all about, um, symbols and, you know, expressing, yeah. um, something very universal in a very specific way. That's how, you know, there are archetypes and, you know, archetypes have characters in a yeah. given story or characters represent specific archetypes and yeah, yeah and things like that. I and think, yeah, and I think that is... Mm. I recently came across this book, which completely blew my mind um, because it was just a book I got. It was by one of my favorite dream work authors, um, that same guy, Robert Bosnack, mm -hmm. and it was called Embodiment. And it blew my mind because I turned turned the book around and on the back one of the quotes was from um one of the directors from the royal shakespeare company and there's mm. actually three two to three chapters in the book where he's just describing how he worked together with michael boyd from the royal shakespeare company in creating a version of romeo and juliet using dream work and what they did is they used something called dream incubation where you ask um a dream uh, you ask for a dream. So I can ask, you know, I want a dream that will tell me why I'm feeling this way, or I want a dream that will heal my stomach problems. And yeah. the question you got them to, I wanted, so, you know, they talk a lot about the case that woman that was playing the nurse. Um, and she mm. would ask for the dreams of the nurse. She asked the right. dream to dream as if she was the character in the story. And then she'd have all of these dreams that are filled with the emotional material of the play. And when she wanted to find the character, she wouldn't try to find, you know, the logic or what is she doing or whatever. She would put herself back into the place of the dream. Of this. I mean, that's. Yeah. From, from an acting standpoint, that is fantastic. That's that's just like you're you're kind of you're you're accessing the subconscious of the character without trying to without having you know without kind of forcing it without trying to like hammer your own ego into yeah. that character and, yeah, and figuring it out yeah when you're understanding this um when you're understanding the characters through this logic it's so anti-acting you know it's Acting is about intuition. Mm. It's about being this empty vessel. And if you're filling yourself up with logic, trying to understand this character's subconscious, you're not going to understand the subconscious. Mm. You're going to send your logic on their subconscious. This is just yes. directly, yeah. literally just go into their space, their psychological space. Mm. There's a whole book about it that I haven't read yet, but I need to. It's called Dream Work for, Dream mm. Work for Actors. Um, I haven't read it, but I would already highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. 
Ah, wow, that's yeah. I mean, that's all really cool, mate. Um, yeah. Right. Well, um, yeah, we've just got about uh, nine minutes left. So, um, yeah, ju- um, just as we start wrapping up, um, is there is there anything else you've been working on at the minute, or anything you'd like to plug? Anything you'd like to uh, shout out for our listeners? Um, no. I mean, that's the thing. I've just been there's some stuff on the horizon, but I can't really talk about it yet because you know it's not. Uh. Um, but yeah, the 27th of February, uh, Woman with Words, we're going to be talking about um, mother mater crone archetypes. Um, it's an evening of new writing by people who are broadly female. Because um, <laughs> they say women, but it includes non-binary people and trans folks. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, about these three, this the big triptych of female archetypes, the mother maiden and the crone. Uh, my website is going to come up soon just for DreamWork, but in the meantime, uh, joe.dreamwork to book any appointments or anything, um, because I'm still kind of starting and this work isn't very well known uh, for now. Mm. Unemployed, it's on a sliding scale, um, freelance 15 and um, fully employed people 25 uh, for an hour. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's about it um it's been really exciting yeah. work and i'm really happy with it <laughs> it's it sounds it mate like uh yeah man really cool well it's yeah i mean it's been an absolute blast talking to you and i'd, I'd love to get into this stuff again sometime mm-hmm. um thank you so much for having me hey no honestly mate it's it's been a pleasure it's been really fucking fascinating to uh yeah. to get into all of this well, stuff this so part of the podcast where we just mutually congratulate each other on doing a good job yeah basically <laughs> you're really cool i know i am as well it's so oh good God, isn't Milo, it this is such a good podcast we did such a great <laughs> we talked for like 53 minutes and it was mildly enjoyable like how great oh my <laughs> gosh i know right isn't conversation so good <laughs> oh, oh right everyone's gonna well yeah man it yeah seriously though it has been a blast and uh yeah i think we'll leave it there but uh thanks so much and uh yeah i'll speak to you soon man have a good day thanks for listening to this episode of the art show by teapot cast hosted by milo hg waters next week i'll be talking to out of the blue theater company but for now take it easy and take care